The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Great to be back in San Diego. Virginia and I actually met in San Diego. We were married in San Diego. Uh, spent our first night of our honeymoon at the Hotel Dell. $60. Our second night was spent in Santa Barbara at Motel 6. $6. It's been a great ride for 47 and a half years. It's just great to be back in San Diego. We were at Forest Home in June where we spent the week with Daniel and Jared and Lucas and Kenny and quite a few of you. And we just fell in love with the team. And we're so excited to hear what's going on here at this very dynamic church. So it's a huge honor and privilege to be with you today. This morning, we're going to be looking at a fairly familiar passage in Scripture from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Uh, Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege of being in your house with your people, uh, worshiping you today. We thank you for our worship already through music. We thank you for your word. And we ask that your spirit would take your word this morning and give each of us what we need to hear, a word of hope or challenge or encouragement, whatever it is. And we acknowledge that you alone are the one who can speak into our souls this morning. So we commit ourselves with complete dependence and expectation for what you'll do in our midst. In the powerful name of your son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let's hop into it. We only have two hours to teach this morning, so we want to get right into it. We're going to look at the what, where, why, who, and when from this wonderful, wonderful passage. So first, uh, the why. Why do people want to hear Jesus? And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. You know, everywhere Jesus went, a crowd gathered. 
Uh, they didn't always agree with him, but there was something about Jesus that people wanted to listen to him. Uh, Jesus was intriguing, and people wanted to hear him. Uh, as followers of Christ, we are also called to be intriguing. But I think often the reputation of Christians aren't that we're intriguing, but we're irritating. Uh, we're not for things, we're against things. And there was something about Jesus, he never in any way shied away from speaking the truth, but he did it in a winsome way that people listened to him. And that certainly is our challenge as well. I love doing weddings. I especially love doing weddings when those in the congregation are not believers. I was doing a wedding for somebody. If I mentioned the family name, you would all know the name. And after the wedding, the uncle of the groom came up to me and he said, Pastor, he said, I have never heard anybody talk about marriage like you have today. He said, I have personally been married six times and I have never heard anything like this. He's now been married seven, but it was six at that time. But what intrigued me was that he was saying there is something unique about this. I did a wedding for one of the NFL players. We worked for the Patriots for years, and, and there were people from Hollywood there. And afterward, a Hollywood actor and producer came up to me, and he said, Pastor, where do you get your materials? <laughs> I wanted to say God, but I didn't want to drop names. You know, it, but there is something so good about the good news, let us never forget this, that we are to be those ambassadors that invite people in to hear the good news of Jesus. So first, why do people want to hear Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who speaks good news. Secondly, what is keeping you from living fully? And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And as we read this passage, we may think, oh, probably not a lot of application for me. I mean, I'm mobile. I'm not paralyzed. I'm sure that we all know people that have certain mobility issues. And so we, maybe we relate it to them. But we're going to suggest this morning that this passage has great applicability for every single one of us. Because even if we are not paralyzed physically, we believe every one of us has a certain amount of paralysis in our souls that shows up in our lives in different ways. Perhaps you are married and your marriage is really struggling, something you never saw coming. When you walked down that aisle, you figured it was going to be all rose and rainbows. But here you are, stuck in a place wondering if your marriage is ever going to be unstuck. And some of you are considering seriously throwing in the towel. We did a conference last weekend in Boston, and a couple came up to us afterwards and they said, we never even thought we'd be discussing divorce, but we are because we don't know how to get unstuck in our marriage. So some of you may be paralyzed in your marriages. Some of you are single. Either always you've been single or you're single again. And you may feel very paralyzed in your station in life, wondering, will God ever bring anybody into my life that I can really share this life with? I feel so stuck, I feel so lonely, I feel so isolated you may be experiencing paralysis in your single life. All of us are part of a family, and some of us as families feel very paralyzed in our family relationships. It may be in our extended relationships, maybe between parents and adult children. We're finding this over the last three years of so many challenges to relationships that there are many, many adult children who are estranged from their parents of parents who are estranged from their teenage children. 
We just believe that every single one of us can relate to the paralytic in this story. Whatever our paralysis is, we believe that ultimately, as he found, our hope is in Jesus. And it's not always true, but often the area that paralyzes us is an area of sin in our life. So I want you each think about what's an area in your life that just paralyzes you from living fully in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, it's a besetting sin, maybe one you just can't seem to get over it. Just think for a moment what that is. Hi, uh, what's your name? Noah. Noah, okay, Noah, why don't you tell us your besetting sin, and then we'll, oh, we'll just go down the line. Oh, we don't have time for that? Okay, well, we won't do that this morning. But Noah broke out in a cold sweat there, and, uh, and many of you are going, man, I will never sit in the front row of church, that is for sure. What is, because we all have those things that we're saying, this is keeping us from being who we should be. Uh, maybe it's anger, or maybe it's pornography, maybe it's pride, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's abusive substances. Those things that just have a grip on us, and they're paralyzing us. And this morning, the good news is we don't need to stay paralyzed. There is one who has come and is, wants to heal us, wants to free us to live more fully. In our experience, we would say that a form of paralysis that affects every single human on the planet comes in the form of selfishness and resistance to authority. For some of us, that's exactly what is keeping us from living fully, fully surrendered. As we sang this morning, I surrender all, Jimmy, let us in that. Just a beautiful sentiment of our heart, but for many of us, for all of us, selfishness often stands in the way of us really surrendering all. We wanna hold on to what we wanna hold on to. It comes so naturally to us, and that shouldn't surprise us because scripture tells us that from the beginning, selfishness was part of the sin that broke our souls, that caused us to need the Savior ultimately. So every single human has been infected by a desire to be the king of our own kingdom, to be the center of our own world. So that's internally within us. Nothing we signed for except when we were born, we inherited it. That's our inheritance from the garden. But we in America especially live in a culture that continues to applaud that internal predisposition. Think of it. Think of all the messages that come our way through advertising. You deserve a break today. You should have it your way. Your happiness is the only thing that matters. Whatever stands in the way of you getting what you want, you just need to bulldoze right over that and get what you want. So we live in this world that continues to encourage that we would live for ourselves. And I will just tell you what we already know. That runs roughshod over both marriages, family relationships, and every single relationship we have. I love the story of a young mom who had two young sons. Their ages were three and five. She was making pancakes. It was Saturday morning. And as she made them in the kitchen, she could hear the boys arguing over who was going to get the first pancake. She thought, I'll seize this moment to give them a lesson. So I said, boys, if Jesus were here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. Eagerly, the five-year-old turned to his three-year-old brother and said, I have an idea, how about if you be Jesus today? <laughs> Don't we all relate to that? 
I would love for somebody else to be Jesus, especially if it allows me to get what I want in the moment. Selfishness is something that none of us can escape, but we're going to suggest today that there is an antidote that we believe comes clearly through Scripture and is modeled so effectively by Jesus himself. We believe that the true antidote to our selfishness is serving. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so as we strive and move towards Christ-likeness for our own personal lives, choosing to serve rather than to indulge our own selfish desires is what helps free us from this entanglement that all of us know all too well. Our family was on staff at a church in New England for many years, directing a family ministries. Our daughters, when they were 12, 14, and 16, encouraged us as the family leaders to launch a family missions trip, which we did. They had all been on high school, junior high mission trips, felt they were so impacting. But as a family, we decided having the whole family experience what breaks the heart of Jesus would be a real game changer for us. And so we set off to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, to do our first family missions trip, which we have since decided not to encourage any church to start at that level. It's sort of a 401 class for family missions trips. Some of you may know that Haiti is the fourth poorest country in the world. It has an infant mortality rate of 50%. Average lifespan is 47 years. And the poverty is palpable. There's just no way to get around it. As we flew from Boston to Haiti via Miami, we were sitting in the Miami airport waiting for our connecting flight, surrounded by posters for Disney World. We, I actually grew up in Southern California. Paul grew up in the Central Valley. Our kids were raised on this coast up until those ages. And so we knew Disneyland, but we had never been to Disney World. And Julie at 12 turned to Paul and said, Daddy, how about next year, instead of going on a missions trip over spring break, we just come down here to Miami and we go to Disney World. Wouldn't that be so cool? And Paul gave her the parental non-answer of we'll see to postpone any argument. And we tucked that away off to Haiti we went and after spending eight days with the poorest of the poor observing mamas offering us their children to take back to the states so that that child would have a greater chance of survival our hearts were broken we were in that same airport eight days later when Julie turned to Paul and said daddy maybe instead of going maybe instead of having Christmas at home this year we could go back to Haiti. I know we can't solve all of their problems, but we could at least help them understand the birth of the Christ child so that they would have their hope in him. In that short amount of time, all of our hearts were broken by the very things that break the heart of Jesus and that assault our own selfish desires. The question all of us have to do, answer is, what am I doing, how am I living, so that I am choosing to fight against this selfishness which keeps me from living fully for Jesus and live more fully and surrendered for him. A second area that I think is pretty common to us is the resistance to authority. Uh, for some reason, when we say the word authority, most of us don't have a warm feeling. When that policeman comes up with lights flashing behind us, we don't think, oh, this is wonderful. I get to talk to a man in authority. Uh, there, there is something that we resist authority. How many of you have high schoolers, have high school children? Have they ever said to you, who made you an authority over us? I didn't choose to be in this family. 
And the correct response is, I prayed for a child and I didn't get the one I prayed for. So, you know, we're both sort of equal on this thing. But all of us, no matter what stage we are, uh, we have a resistance to authority. The teenager doesn't want the parents telling them what to do. The 18-month-old doesn't want the parents saying, don't put your finger in that socket. There is something innate in every one of us at every level that we don't want somebody telling us what to do, somebody to be an authority over us. And yet this is a critical area in our living fully for Christ is that we embrace authority. God has given an order of authority in the home and in marriage and, and all that we need to embrace. Today especially, we need to be those people that embrace the authority of God's word. We're so thankful that Maranatha Chapel is a, a, a group of believers that believe in the authority of God's word. But today we're having people in churches who are, are not fully embracing. They're making decisions on what part of God's word we follow and what we don't. And yet, really, there's only two choices. Either you be the authority or have God be the authority. And as much as you think about yourself, you're not very good. You're not going to be the one who can set the authority. So we need to embrace that over our emotions, our experiences, and say, God's word is true, and it's the ultimate authority. We will follow God's word. So first, why do people want to hear Jesus? Second, what is keeping you from fully living? And thirdly, where are you going for fullness of life? And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, it's said that we are living in the most isolated and lonely culture of any time. Uh, depression is huge and skyrocketing. And there is something that we're trying to fill. If I just had this, I would live life more fully. I'd be more satisfied. I'd be happier. If I just had another million dollars, I just need that, close that deal, and that, I would be content if I had that. If I just had another drink, I'd be relaxed and I'd do much better. If I just had another sex partner who was more involved, that would make life great. If I just took another vape, that would be good. There's always something that we want. But here's the problem. Uh, we don't have enough resources to really give it a good try. Uh, we're limited in our opportunities. We're limited in our experience. We're limited, limited in our resources. But there was somebody in the history of Scripture that really didn't have limits. It was King Solomon. And listen to what King Solomon said in Solomon, Ecclesiastes 2. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. See, if anybody could really take it to the end to try to satisfy himself, it was King Solomon. And this is what he says in the end. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man.
C.S. Lewis, an incredible author, wrote this in similar sentiments. He said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. See, King Solomon said, I could have everything, but nothing satisfies. C.S. Lewis is saying the same things. Pascal said there is a God-shaped vacuum in us, and nothing can satisfy that except for the Lord. But still we try. There are so many places that we go for that fulfillment that we all long for. As Augustine said centuries ago, all of us are born with a God-shaped vacuum in us. Mm -hmm. And until we find Jesus to fill up that vacuum, we will be searching in all the wrong places, basically. Not that any of the things that Paul has even mentioned are inherently evil. The evil comes when we believe that they can deliver to us what we most need. But we were created for God, and he is the only one who will really satisfy us. And this is what it seems the four friends understood, that their paralyzed friend actually needed. I don't know if you've really sunk your thinking into this passage and wondered, what were those four friends going to do that day instead of taking their friend to Jesus? I mean, the sacrifice involved in this is really quite remarkable. I don't know about you, but our days off are booked with things that we are going to do. But for some reason, the news of Jesus had gone far and right in that area. And these four friends were convinced beyond a doubt and beyond any obstacle that would stand in their way that getting their friend to Jesus was the very best thing that they could do and the greatest hope that they had. I mean, think about it. They gave up maybe mowing the lawn on that Saturday or doing errands or catching up on all the things that we typically catch up for on the weekend. But no, they knew that carrying their friend to Jesus was the greatest use of that day for them. Have you ever considered how physically hard it was for them to carry the litter across town with this adult-sized man in it? Even with four strong men, that would get quite heavy and onerous. But that didn't stop them. And then imagine, they get to the place where Jesus is speaking, the house, and they can see, even as they're approaching it, that there are people that are standing outside. There are people hanging out of the windows. It was quite clear that the room was full. And at that point, to be very honest, they could have said, oh, listen, buddy, we tried. We did everything we can. We gave up our Saturday. We've carried you this far. But clearly, we're never going to get in that house. Sorry. Maybe the next time. But no. They didn't let that stop them. They climbed to the top of the roof and began deconstructing somebody else's house in order to get their friend to Jesus. Do you realize how absolutely convinced they were that that was the very best thing that they could do for their friend, and they would stop short of nothing. Sometimes the commentary on American culture is that we stop at the smallest thing. For some of us, it's very hard to follow through on a commitment. When the going gets tough, we sort of drop out of the race. 
I would say we can take a page from these four friends. If we are equally convinced that the very best thing that we can do for those people in our lives who we deeply love and who we believe will spend eternity apart from Jesus unless they are introduced to and decide to follow him, if we are so convinced of that, will we keep pressing beyond the obstacles in order to help get them to Jesus? The other thing in this story, which is interesting as the paralytic is lowered, is the response of Jesus. Now, the paralytic came because he was paralyzed and he wanted to be healed. He wanted to walk again. And as he is lowered, what does Jesus do? Son, your sins are forgiven. And I think because it's scripture, we don't realize that these are real people. Now, I'll tell you, if I were the paralyzed person, I came to Jesus to be healed from paralysis, and he looks at me and says, son, your sins are forgiven, I think, oh, great. Now, I'm a sinless, paralyzed man. I wanted to walk. But you see, Jesus knew what the paralyzed man needed more than physical healing. If you ever really wanted a Snickers out of a vending machine and you had a dollar fifty and that's what it was and you plunked it in and you hit D6 and lifesavers start spinning. Isn't that horrible? Well, that's what the paralyzed man felt like. It's like I came for physical healing. But here's the thing. Jesus knows what we need more than we do. We come to Jesus and say, if I just had a marriage, if I just had more money, if I just had this, if I just had that, and Jesus said, you know, those are okay, but here's what you really need. What you really need is a relationship with me through the forgiveness of sins, which I offer you. As is true in this story, those physical things followed the spiritual healing. And often when Christ comes into our life and we are healed spiritually, the relationship issues and the other issues that we have start taking care of themselves. But often we come because we are looking for the wrong thing. So first, why do people want to hear Jesus? Second, what is keeping you from living fully? Thirdly, where are you going to find fullness of life? And fourthly, who are your friends and where are they taking you? And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. What great friends. Think of your four best friends. Just in, write it in your mind. Just think, who are your four best friends? Uh, the four people you hang out with the most, the four people you spend the most time with, the four people who speak into your life the most. Everybody have that? Who are those people? Okay, now... Here's the question. Are those people taking you to Jesus or taking you away from Jesus? If hanging out with those people, when you're with them, they're taking you away from Jesus, you've got to scratch them off your best friend list. They can't be your best friends. Good friends don't make you do bad things. So they, you scratch them. It doesn't mean you can't continue to try to lead them to Jesus. You can't influence them, but they can't be your best friends if they're taking you away from Jesus. Either you're taking them to Jesus or they're taking you to Jesus, but you can't have best friends that are taking you away from Jesus. Anybody dating? Is that a thing that's done anymore? Anybody at Maranatha? 8.30 service, no daters. That is incredible. Okay, well, oh, you got a dater? Okay, here, Jared's going to come. I saw mom actually raise her Somebody, hand Somebody, there's a free book if you're dating. 
What's your Talk name? Jeremy. 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 And Jeremy, are you dating the young lady sitting by you? She uh, doesn't seem name? thrilled that they got volunteered for this. What's your name? Addison. Allison. Addison. 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 Here's the deal. If Jeremy isn't taking you to Jesus, drop him. Okay? Jeremy, if Addison isn't taking you to Jesus, drop her. This is your last date today here at Maranatha Chapel. Okay? Now, go to the book table afterwards, and you can each get a free book. Okay? Um, thank you for doing but I'm serious on this. I mean, I don't know you at all, and I trust you're leading each other to Jesus. That's wonderful. But the person that we're dating better be somebody who's leading us to Jesus. Because that's the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life, who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Our daughter was in Uganda, and uh, she met the director of the hospital that she was working at, and she wrote us, and she said, when I'm with Derek, I grow closer to Jesus. That's what a dad wants to hear more than anything else. It didn't hurt that he was the director of a neurological, neurological pediatric hospital, but the main thing was... He was drawing our daughter to Jesus. And who are your friends and where are they taking you? But what about those friends that are not human friends? I don't mean like make-believe. I don't want to step on any toes, but here we go. Uh, what are you watching on Netflix? What are you doing on social media? Uh, what are you reading? Uh, what are you drinking? What are your social habits, lifestyle habits, are they taking you to Jesus or taking you away from Jesus? And we got to be just obviously critical about this and say, if what I'm doing is taking me away from Jesus, it can't be Jesus' will for me. It can't be what God wants. And so we've got to be ruthless in this because it isn't because God's against us having fun. God's against us doing anything that brings life. He wants us to have life, and he knows that anything that takes us away from him is going to be harmful. And actually, it's one of the things we've been so impressed with just in our short connection with Maranatha Chapel is you guys know how to celebrate. You've just had the Feast of the Trumpets. Is that what it was? And we saw slides of that, and we thought, this is really good. Because one of the great misconceptions about Christianity is, oh, man, once you sign up for Jesus, like, all the fun is over. Like, life is dull and boring. You just have to sit there dressed in your suit and church and blah, blah, blah. That is the farthest thing from the truth. God is a God of celebration. And actually, it's only the truest form of celebration that we have when we have our life in Him. And so this question is really a genuinely ser serious challenge to you. Who are your friends? Where are they taking you? Where are the technological people in your life taking you? Whose voice are you listening to? I had a woman come into my office 15 years into marriage. She announced that she was ready to divorce her husband. After going through the normal questions of, is he abusive? No. Does he provide for you? Yes. Do your is he good with the children? Yes. Has he been faithful to you? Yes. Why are you going to divorce him? I'm just tired. I don't really like him. I said, oh, okay. Let me find where that's in scripture. Obviously, it's not. And I said, well, what has influenced you in this direction? And she said, well, I mean, I don't know, but all my friends are divorced. I said, really? I said, and so they want you to join them? And she said, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I work with all of them. They're all married. They all got out of their marriages. They think I would have a better life if I left my husband and children. Who are you listening to? There are a million voices speaking today. 
through podcasts, through the airways, through the radios, all of those can have a positive benefit in our life. And many of them have the potential of really drawing us away by filling our mind with untruths about who God is and about his call on our lives. Be really, really careful as you consider those people that you're allowing to influence you. So let's review. First, why do people want to hear Jesus? He's got good news. Second, what is keeping you from living fully? We need to eradicate that. Thirdly, where are you going for fullness of life? We go to Jesus for that. Fourth, who are your friends and where are they taking you? Align yourself with people that are going to help you be more Christ-like. And lastly, when others see you, will they be amazed? And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. When people see our marriages, when they see our families, are they going to be amazed? If you've been married over two weeks and you're still happy and people say, wow, what, what's going on with your marriage? You say, well, I, I don't know exactly, but Jesus has really made a difference in our marriage. Some of the most powerful testimonies are people who have struggled in their marriage and Jesus got a hold of their lives and they are coming back and they're loving each other fully. Or maybe your family's really struggling, but you've allowed Jesus to come in and be the center of your family and it's turned it around. When, when people see us as believers, they should be amazed to see what God has done. And then what they do is they glorify God. They're, they're just drawn to glorify God because they're amazed at the power of God to change a life. We actually feel that maybe the strongest tool of evangelism we have in our families, in our marriages, is marriages and families that are walking in in step with Jesus and with his call on our life. Everybody's trying to figure out how to make life work. Everybody's trying to figure out how to make marriage work. All around us, we're surrounded by people who are looking for hope, and many of them are looking in the wrong places. Can we offer them the hope of Jesus because of what he's doing in our lives? I think it's, I think it's one of the most natural things that we can do as believers is to share the hope that is in us. So back to Uganda, um, our daughter actually married the director of that hospital, Derek. They're actually now stateside, but at that hospital they treated children with hydrocephalus, which is really uncommon in the states, but it is epidemic in developing countries, mostly caused because of unsanitary birth conditions. And so this little hospital in Mbali, Uganda, has developed a treatment plan for hydrocephalus that leaves a child non-shunt dependent. It's revolutionizing globally now the way hydrocephalus is treated. So women come from all over North Africa to this little hospital that has gained a reputation for treating the big-headed children. Hydrocephalus causes the head to swell, eventually causing death to the child unless it is treated. Most of the children that come to that hospital receive treatment and leave and lead normal, healthy lives. It's remarkable what is happening there. But one woman came with her child and his hydrocephalus was far advanced and he actually didn't survive his surgery. In the five days that the mama and this little boy were at the hospital awaiting surgery, the spiritual care team meets with all the other mothers and they explain the gospel to them. Most of them are completely unaware of the gospel. Many come from Muslim villages. And the spiritual care team comes along to try to meet, not just as the children are having their physical needs met, 
trying also to speak into the spiritual needs of their mamas. And the mother of this little boy decided that she wanted to follow Jesus. She believed this good news. So even though her son did not survive the surgery, she left feeling confident that God was in charge of her life and had been of his life as well. She returned to the village with this little dead child. And it was two weeks later that a man arrived at the gates of the hospital. The security guard said, why are you here? And he said, let me in. I need to talk to the director of this hospital. And that does not mean that we're done. <laughs> if you can hear that alarm. But I'm just going to take a pause for a moment and just tell you that at 9.38 every single day, our alarm goes off to remind us to pray for our oldest daughter, our son-in-law, and their three children who moved to Oakland, California three years ago to plant a church. Going into the most dangerous city in California, they asked a group of their support team to set their alarm for 9.38 every day citing Matthew 9:38 that the fields are white with harvest, but the laborers are few. Send the laborers into the field. So every single day at 9:38, we stop and pray for Gabe and Carrie and Brandon, Anna, and Micah. So we're just going to invite you to join us in that for a moment. Father, we do thank you for the alarm that reminds us to pray for Gabe and Carrie, Micah, Anna, and Brandon. We pray for them today, Father, as they celebrate the second uh, anniversary of New City Church. We pray that you will just make this a day of affirmation, that you will bring many people into that uh, facility to hear your word today and to be transformed. We pray for protection for the Garcias in that town they live in, in Oakland. We pray that you'll protect the children, especially in the school system, that they will be lights for you and not be influenced against you. And so we commit them to you with expectation of what you will do in Christ's name. Amen. And just as a, an aside, a small encouragement that some of you are in really struggling situations, and we're going to encourage you to search the scriptures and find a verse that speaks into your particular situation, a rebellious child, a struggling marriage, whatever it might be, and set your alarm for the address of that verse. It will keep you on track for just praying, being reminded every single day that the sovereign God of this universe is intimately and personally involved in our lives, and he hears our prayers. So thank you for that. Back to the story. This man is at the gates. He's pounding on the gates. He's saying, let me in. I need to see the director of this hospital. The security guard said, why are you here? My wife was here, and I need to speak to the director. The security guards weren't sure if he was there for revenge or for other purposes, but they eventually let him in. He went to the director of the hospital, which was our son-in-law, and he said, my wife was here two weeks ago with our son, and when she returned to our village, our son was dead. But he said, whatever you did for my wife, I want you to do that for me. He had seen such a dramatic change in his wife when she decided to surrender her life to Jesus that he wanted that too. He came to Christ, and then that couple invited the spiritual care team from that hospital in Mbali to their local village, local two hours away. They asked them to come and share the gospel with their village, this Muslim village, and to date, dozens of villagers in that little place have come to Christ. The message of the gospel is the best news ever. 
and it is the game changer. Will people be amazed by those of us who claim to follow Christ, who've surrendered our lives to him, who believe that he is the hope of the world, will they be amazed by our lives and be drawn to him as well? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word, which is so, so very practical. We thank you for the healing, the physical healing that you are capable of doing, that you did for this paralytic, but even more the spiritual healing that you did and for the witness to all that were watching. And Father, we pray that we would be those people who live lives in such a way that others are drawn to you. They see our lives and are amazed at the power of the gospel. And we do this not just for our own sake, but that a watching world will know that the God of the universe loves them, that he has sent his son to die for them so that they could have a personal relationship and live in fullness of life. So we thank you for that, Father, and we pray that we would be those who live in such a way that bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.